The first soul winner to appear on the New Testament page is this man by the name of John the Baptist. We could call him, and he have done, the pioneer soul winner. Because no matter how we look at him, in any angle, from every sense of the word, he definitely was a pioneer. He came, as he explained himself, to prepare the way of the Lord. And in Luke 3 and verse 4, we find that phrase. But as we get on his trail here, and we look at his actions, then we find here is a man who not only prepared the way of the Lord, but he has led out a path that all of us, naming the name of Christ, should be walking along. He teaches us how to do this work in which he engaged so effectively, and he tells us there will be a mammoth reward at the end of the journey. There are few people in the Gospels for whom we have so much detail, and fewer still of whom the Lord had so much to say. So, John is a unique personality, ministry that is compressed, we would imagine, into not any more than six months. Yet we find a man here that was a rugged character, and yet extremely low to the ground in terms of humility, pretty severe and yet self-effacing at the same time. We find in the details given include that he was born to godly parents. Luke 1, 5 to 6 takes care of that. His birth was not by any means ordinary. Luke 1 and verse 7 underlines that point. He was filled with God's Holy Spirit, a most wonderful thing to happen, and it happened early in his life. We have him as our Lord's forerunner, so he goes out as a trailblazer. And he sets the stage, and he prepares the way, and he is, as he describes himself, and we'll talk about it later, that voice that is lifted up and in the wilderness is raising its noise. He experienced the time of testing, and that was very severe and grievous, and eventually he lost his life, Matthew 11, 2 to 15, and beheaded he is in that most brutal way to kill a person beheaded because of his loyalty, Mark 6 and verse 14 to 29. I couldn't help but think when I read about some of the enclaves where the Israelis are living and how Hamas came in and beheaded not only adults but babies in the midst of their orgy of destruction and savagery just the other day, and how anyone can amass such barbarity and cruelty and depravity? Well, that's really beyond the bounds of imagination, but of course, the Lord tells us we are totally depraved, and the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God, who can plumb the depths of evil in the human heart. And Jesus has said, out of the heart of man, prosy evil thoughts and blasphemies and murders. And we have seen that in whole scale and terrible fashion in recent days. But here's a man, John the Baptist, beheaded because of his loyalty to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to look at this man as a soul winner tonight, 
and see how we can learn from him, that we can process and hone our ability to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ. First point that we have is that of compulsion, and we have a man here who obeyed a divine command. He went out, and he was sure, I'm not acting on my own here. I haven't just had a little pretty scheme that I have developed in my mind or maybe came to me by a dream and it's a little pet pursuit of mine and just watch me, here I go, not at all. He was under a strong sense of a divine commission. And in John 1 and verse 33, you have words in there in our English Bible that indicate that. Those words are, He that sent me. He that sent me. And so here is John, and he's completely convinced, I'm not stepping out, outside of the will of God. I am entirely within it, because I know that God himself has sent me. To do what work? There was a man, again, the fact is underlined in verse 6, a man sent from God, whose name was John. And so again, there's no equivocation as to him being sent and who sent him. He was under a divine directive as he went out to do what he did. Of course, we as the children of God today have been every bit as much sent as John was here, as Peter would have been in the final chapter of John, John 20 and 21 as well. And we find the Lord Jesus himself. He was sent by God. And he regularly referenced this fact. He who has sent me. John 6 and 44. John 7, 16, he repeats it. Again, John 9 and 4. 1 John 4 and verse 14. Our Lord Jesus is operating under this same divine compulsion. And really, we ought to be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 and say, Lord, send me. Send me just like all of those disciples who were brought under the net of that great commission in Matthew 28, the verse 19, and he had sent them into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that includes you, and that includes me. So compulsion is the word. He obeyed this divine command or compulsion. Then the second thing, communication. Why was John sent? Surely he wasn't sent with no particular purpose. What did he come to do? Well, in verse 19 through to the verse 22, we find as part of the chapter that we didn't read tonight, we find there was a Jewish deputation, and they were sent to John to make this inquiry. This is the record of John, verse 19, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? But he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us, what sayest thou of thyself? And so they're interrogating him here. 
and they're firing the questions in quick succession, who he was and what he was doing and what right did he have and whose commission was he working under and who was he representing. And he tells them that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And if he should just stop and say that I am the voice or I am a voice, well, then that tells us exactly what his commission was. He was to go out and to speak. He's referencing Isaiah 40 here, of course, and you can check out that corresponding Old Testament passage which has these words, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a good description of you and me. We are to be a voice, a voice for Christ, a voice in our society today. There's no doubt that our world is a wilderness. Belfast, spiritually, is a complete wilderness, and we are to be a voice speaking in that area. I'm reminded of the way in which John Bunyan gave his intro into the Pilgrim's Progress, and he talks about how there was this man who had a dream, but here's how he starts. As I walked through the wilderness of this world. And what Bunyan felt in the 1600s, we certainly feel now in this 21st century, we are walking where? Through the wilderness of this world. There's a barrenness. There's a dearth. There's a lack of hearing the Word of God. There is no appreciation of God's truth worth talking about in our society today. And sometimes we assume, oh yes, a lot of homes will have Bibles. There will be some who periodically at least read them, and yet we go out there and we find there's a dearth. It is a wilderness in which we work. Well, like John the Baptist, you and I have been called, commissioned to communicate, and our voice is going out into the wilderness of this world. We move on from compulsion and communication to concentration. Concentration. What John did as he raised his voice, opened his mouth, articulated sentences, he didn't go scattergun approach all over the place, but what he did was he concentrated on a wonderful person. I am his ambassador. I am his representative. I am preparing the way for Jesus Christ. That's God's design for my life. That's what I've been commissioned to do. And you'll see that he didn't stray from that. In fact, the passage we read tonight in John 1, 19 to 37, he's constantly under this interrogation, etc. He is constantly pointing people away from himself. I am not that prophet. I am not the Messiah. I am not. And so he's saying, don't be looking to me. But as soon as he gets a glimpse of Christ, he says to the people, look at him. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So he's concentrating all of his witness about Christ. Nothing else counts. Who was this Christ of whom John spoke? Well, in verse 30, 
And in verse 34, he reveals him to be the eternal and the preexistent Son of God. Verse 13, this is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. Of course he was. He's the eternal Son. The great I am, verse 34, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And when you and I go out and we talk to others, let's not cut corners, let's not try to dilute, let's be confident of the one that we are representing, let's speak of Christ to others and describe Him as He is. We're not in for this body kind of language that reduces Jesus to a mere mortal and nothing more, that strip Him effectively when we have all of this fuzzy, light, flippant, frothy talk, no foundation at all of doctrine in it. We're not off that ilk, and we don't want to be because we want to study Him in the book and reveal Him in the way that He is presented by God in the book. So He is the eternal, the pre-existent Son of God, and I and you could have no higher privilege in the whole world than to speak of Him, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. What a high privilege that is. So, John, that was his concentration. Compulsion, communication, concentration. Then fourthly, we look at his content, his content. There is no doubt that John the Baptist announced a most glorious message. What did he tell about Christ? If all of his message is centered on one person, well, he's bound to have highlights and bound to have been things that he would have underlined and emphasized, and you can't miss this, and you must understand that about him. Well, that's how it was. There were two main things that he emphasized in his message about Christ. First one is he is the sin-bearer. In verse 29, and again in verse 36, the next day, verse 29, John saith Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Verse 36, Looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. He's our great sacrifice. He's the one who will go to the altar of Calvary. He's the one who will lay down his life as a substitute for guilty sinners. He is the sin-bearer. And that was a good part of John's message about him. But then the second part of that message was that he identified Jesus as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And again, if you look at verse 32 and the verse 33, and John bear record, so he's speaking again. This is his message, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, 
the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So here's the message. And he's promulgating it through the land to all who will hear him. There's a message of salvation from sin, and it radiates from Christ. For he is the only Savior, the only sin bearer. You read about it in Acts 13, 38, and 39 as well. Through him we receive the gift of new life. 1 Corinthians 12 and the verse 13. He's the only one. And so the emphasis in the message of John, and later in the apostles, they're all striving to hit this keynote. The blessings of salvation, they're located in one person, and only one, and it's Christ. Exodus 12 and 13, Acts 8 and 32, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 1 Peter 1 and 19 and 2 and 24, Revelation 1, 5 and 6. The Bible is replete with references to this very point. And also, if you're looking for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, He proceeds from the Father and from the Son, and you will receive Him through Christ again. Only He can take us, guilty sinners that we are, by the miracle and the mystery of sovereign grace, He can unite us into one body, bring us into union with Himself, give us a one spirit to drink, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. He can make us participate in the divine nature, 2 Peter 1 and 4. He can make us fellow citizens with the saints of God, members of the household of God, Ephesians 2 and 19. And then in Ephesians 2 and 22, what happens? We become a dwelling inhabited by God through His Spirit. And so if we're looking for salvation, and if we're looking for the fullness of God's Spirit, John's message is, you'll find it in Christ. And that is the case today as well, and always will be. So we have compulsion, communication, concentration, content. Then finally, think of consummation. How did it end? Well, we're not thinking of his, the ending of his life. But we're thinking of, in this chapter, what happened as a result of him being a voice, presenting Christ, pointing to him as sin-bearer and the one who, through whom we receive the Spirit? What happened when he preached this message? There was a tremendous harvest. Now look at John 1, the verse 35 to 37. Verse 35 through 37. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Who were they? Look at verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, what happened when he heard John's message? He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. He became a soul winner. 
One soul winner, John the Baptist, spawned another soul winner, and that is Andrew. And here's the very first thing that he did. Spread the message about the Savior. Pointed others, his own brother, first of all, to Jesus Christ. It's the old concept. The disciples had to adhere to it. It was the template God gave them. Begin at Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Keep fanning out concentric circles. Let them spread onto the uttermost part of the earth. And here he goes. And we find both of these men. They find their brothers, and they bring them to Christ. Andrew and Peter and James and John, and so it begins to move. And God, through them, begins to work, and more and more souls are impacted. I know some of you will know the little construction that Sam Houston used to mention if each one, 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 and each one, 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 and so he went on, and the emphasis was, it just keeps moving when God begins to work. When we catch the vision, when we communicate the message, when we do what we can for Christ and do something more for Him, I can. Here's the title of our series. I can, if I but try. And may the Lord use us to throw the stone into the pool, see the moving, and see other souls being impacted for God and grace one by one.